It's time for JT the Brick. So we are open for business again, everybody. I had a dream that someday we'd have a flagship station with the cooperation of the team and the fans that stream globally. JT the Brick. Are we all on board with that? Because if you're not on board with this, you're going to have to enter a mental asylum. If you're not on board with this, it's going to drive you nuts. Jackpot, baby! And now, here's JT the Brick. Out of the gate, JT with you. Thanks for coming in today. A fresh week of content here on Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Hope everybody enjoyed the weekend. Was everybody a new member of the BTS Army? Yes, Bobby, don't roll your eyes. They had the biggest concert ever in Nevada, largest revenue, biggest concert, biggest merchandise of all time, including the Rolling Stones and Guns N' Roses. Ready for this? Combined. The Army was here. Wow. Good to see so many people come to our fine city because Mark Davis built a football stadium that some people scoffed at and said, quote, believe it or not, do we need it? Do we need a football stadium here? Come on, man. Look at what's happening here. I went to a little Reno UNLV baseball. We'll tell you about that. And just a good weekend overall with the Masters as Scotty Scheffler pretty much dominated the Masters until his four-putt on Sunday on 18, but he lapped it off and won easily. And spent a lot of time playing golf, almost got a hole-in-one. But almost doesn't count in golf. you got to actually get it in the cup. Good weekend with friends and family. My wife just got back from Oklahoma visiting my son for mom's weekend. And I'm just thrilled to be here this week as it's all quiet on the Raider front. All quiet. No news, which is okay. Because we had news last year that I didn't want to talk about. And I had to. Henry Ruggs III, Tina Tintor. Damon Arnett. Rich Passaccia taking over for Gruden. Man, you got a chance to see what I was doing last year? All of those phone blowing up on Monday as I'm at Monday Night Football going, this is happening, this is happening. Shh. It's quiet under Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels. Signing players, locking them up, and building depth on this team. Harry Ruiz will join us, the Latino voice of the Silver and Black, at the top of the hour. And we're going to go through the Raider roster, and we're going to look at position groups today. And that's what I'm going to deliver on content. Because I'm not doing low-hanging fruit, trade Darren Waller. I'm not doing that garbage because it's garbage. Now, if Darren Waller, something happens, you know where to find me, and I'll revisit it. But I, I, want, I like it like this now because I start with the Raiders in August. It'll start with the Raiders in Canton for Cliff Branch, and it won't stop, hopefully, deep into the playoffs constantly. And so we, these slow days, these quiet days, I embrace because there's other news that we can get to. But if you're a Raider fan and you want to call on any topic you want, the phone lines are always open. Bobby unlocks them after the Rich Eisen show, big padlock. Got to borrow the keys from the gal at the front desk. We unlock the phones, and we only look for great callers. That's all we want. We want everybody to call, but we want people to kind of put their calls together, be excited, bring something to the table, kind of like you're a second or third co-host, if you can bring some entertainment value here. 702-365-9200, as we are brought to you by PTs, the best happy hour in town. A lot of moms and dads dropped off their kids at the BTS, and they went to PTs. 
for the happy hour. Well, two parents told me. I went, dropped my kids off at, at Allegiant. I found a PTs because of you, JT, and I hit their happy hour until I had to pick them up after the show. PTs, it's 5 to 7, midnight to 2, half-price drinks. Also home of the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, Bobby will tell me during a break later what the Golden Knights need to do to make the playoffs with a little help from the Kings losing. That would be really important as we can get this going. A lot of things I want to lead off with, but we have to slot a couple of guests in. We have a Raider alumni coming up at the bottom of the hour, which I'm very excited about. Uh, We decided, along with the Raiders, to look back at every decade, every single decade in the draft. We started with the 60s, went to the 70s, into the 80s, and now we're going to be moving into the 90s. James Folston will join us, former Raider linebacker who had an incredible, incredible college career. Off the charts, uh, we'll talk about his career coming up a little bit. And then uh, when we have one other guest, I think, coming in on the 1 o'clock hour. Harry's going to come in, and we'll figure it out then. I wanted to lead with Dwayne Haskins. I was very troubled by the death of Dwayne Haskins over the weekend. And I slotted about 10 minutes to do it in the next hour, too. So I don't want to give up too much here, but I was really damn pissed off about the reaction to his death. And doing this as long as I have done this, I noticed that breaking news on death is something that I don't want to be a part of. I don't want to break news on death. I don't want someone to call me first and say that. And it's happened before. I was the first to break the Gene Upshaw passing on this air. Not Raider Nation Radio here, but the other flagship. And it was tough. Because if you get it wrong, you're done. If you get it wrong and you talk about someone's life or death and you get it wrong, you're done. It's not about a tweet. And then if you don't handle it correctly, then you get a lot of shade thrown at you. And that's what happened with Dwayne Haskins, who was killed trying to cross a highway by a dump truck. I don't know what he was doing at that time in the morning there. It's not. There's going to be an investigation. It's ongoing. But Adam Schefter went to Twitter and talked about his struggling NFL career. He used the word struggling. And everybody went nuts. Rightfully so. He's a human being. He's not a football player. A human being died got, getting hit by a car. And then Gil Brandt, who's 90 years old, and I think the world to Gil, he's 90. He went on NFL radio and said some things that were out of character for Gil. And then Gil went back and apologized. And a lot of NFL players went to social media and said, we've had it now. We're done. Stop treating us like we're athletes. Start treating people more like human beings. And I agree with that. You know, as I talked about this before, whenever I have a guest on the show who's not a first ballot Hall of Famer or it's a former Raider, I don't evaluate that person as a football player. I evaluate him as a human being. I would say that if I had Jamarcus Russell on, which I hope to. I'd love to interview Jamarcus Russell. We have Robert Gallery on. Every time I have Robert Gallery on, someone sends me a tweet. Some idiot will send me a tweet and say, Robert Gallery wasn't what he was supposed to be. And I'm like, who cares? He's a human being. He's a Raider alumni. The Raiders love him like a member of the family. But people can't separate that. They can't separate the athlete from the human being. Some people. And Schefter got hammered for it along with Gil Brandt. And I think this is a developing topic going forward as we rate human beings at the level of their athletic prowess, which we should stop doing. And we, we will never stop doing it. We call people a bust. Would you call a six foot seven guy who weighed 280 pounds a bust to his face? Well, why do you do it on Twitter? Right? And people do that. And people always want to rate someone by their best year ever. Look, here's what I know. There's never going to be a Tom Brady ever again. We just saw him. There's never going to be another Tiger Woods again. 
So if we look at athletes, we don't have to compare them to Brady and Tiger Woods. We can just compare them for athletes and how they brought entertainment to us, joy, even some sorrow in some games. But if they pass away, I think we should just say one thing, rest in peace. We shouldn't give our opinion of people we don't know when they die because we insist on being heard on a social media platform. You can pass. When Taylor Hawkins died of Foo Fighters, I like Foo Fighters. I said, rest in peace. I posted a couple of concert videos when I went and saw him. I didn't get into a deep dive of comparing him to Keith Moon, Neil Peart, and other drummers saying he was better or worse. You don't need to do that. John Clayton just passed away. We spent a week evaluating the career of John Clayton. It was a Hall of Fame career. We didn't say it was lesser or bigger than Peter King's. We just paid tribute to him. So there's a lot of Ohio State players who are up in arms, and they should be, and a lot of other people who are just pretty upset about that. That was, other than the Masters, that was a story in sports over the weekend. Dwayne Haskins dying and the reaction to it and how everybody reacted to it. So if you have anything you want to add on that topic in general, I'd love to hear from you on that because it's really important to me. And I talk about on this show what's important to me and what I think are big topics. Again, as I tweeted out earlier today, I don't talk about the A's because the A's don't play here. They don't talk about the A's in the Bay Area on KNBR 95.7 The Game, the biggest radio stations there. I talk about what I hopefully, hopefully matters and has an impact with you and can get you to react on the phones or Twitter. And the Dwayne Haskins thing really got to me over the weekend. I don't know him. He had a 50-touchdown season. 50 touchdowns at Ohio State. He had one of the great – he beat up Michigan. He had these amazing moments. They, they played his top three games. They announced the top three games that they're going to play on Big Ten Network, and all the games are like, oh, my God, how did he do that? So you don't have – Tim Tebow doesn't have to be successful in the NFL or go to the NFL Hall of Fame. He was the most successful college quarterback maybe of your lifetime. That should be good enough for everybody else as we open up the show today. All right, for the Masters, before I get to the Lakers, Scotty Scheffler won, and I really enjoyed that because I root for Americans. I don't apologize for that. I don't talk down to foreigners. I root for Americans and majors, and Scotty Scheffler now is the best golfer in the world, and he's American, and he's going to be playing for us in the Ryder Cup, and I love that. He's a great player. And the birdie he made, this birdie that we're playing here, is one of the most clutch shots I've seen because early in the round, it looked like the round was getting a little loose on him until this shot that stabilized everything. This is a pretty straightforward shot, though. Obviously, it's elevated five or six feet up. Picks that club up abruptly, gets it over the fence, towards the company, hold it. Wow! Never saw that one coming. How about the hole out three there for Scotty Scheffler? He jumps the 10 under when it looked like he was going to drop another shot, possibly. That's Sirius XM radio here, Masters Radio. Scheffler chipped into, into the mound. He chipped it into the mound. He didn't chip it on the green. He chipped it into the mound and rolled it into the cup. It was one of the greatest shots in the history of the Masters. This was on Sunday. He ended up winning a green jacket. And if he doesn't make that shot, it's a two-stroke potential change there. And it could have been close to being a one-shot lead. And once he made that, it was over, game, set, match, done. So Scheffler was amazing. How about on 18 where Rory McIlroy shot 64, tying for the greatest round at the Masters. He, first time this has ever been done in Masters history. He hit the ball in the bunker, then hit it into another bunker, 
and then dig this out of the bunker. Takes the slope, rolls that down toward the cup, needs to go. This looks good toward the cup. Go a little bit for me, sweetheart. He did it! He did it! My word! He hauled out from the bunker! Rory McIlroy, 8 under par, 64. He's 7 under par. He's thinking Grand Slam! He could have. I mean, seven under par is damn good if he would have played better in one of those two earlier rounds there. Over the weekend, he wasn't able to do it and win, but that was fun to see. Here's Scotty Scheffler on 18. 18 got a little weird as he got on, and he couldn't make these little baby putts, but finally drained it to win the green jacket. Scheffler outshines them all at Augusta. Congratulations, young man. That is so impressive. Jim Nance and Nick Faldo on CBS. Scheffler, after the round, talked about the dream. Every young golfer, male or female, dreams of the walk up 18, the ability to win a major championship. He did it in an impressive fashion. You know, it's a dream come true just to be in the field this week and um, to have the honor of winning. I, I, I really can't put it into words, and I'm so thankful just to uh, be a part of such a great event. So, so thank you to you guys. All right, so Tiger Woods... Tiger Woods was the reason a lot of people watched. And that was a fun topic I did last night on my national show. I said, did you watch the Masters because of Tiger, but then learn about Scotty Scheffler? I think a lot of people did. And that's a good thing. A lot of people don't know Scotty Scheffler. He didn't win a PGA tournament until this year. Now he's won four, including a major. He's the hottest player in the world. So people did not know him. They heard of him. And now after the weekend, they're aware of him. A lot of people think it's because of Tiger playing and being in contention after Thursday. But he ended up 13 over. It looked like he was in pain to wrap it up, but he did compete. What drives you to wake up every morning when you are in the pain that you have discussed and push through it? And never let down just to return again. It's hard. It's hard. You know, I, I have those days where I just don't want to do anything. It just hurts. But I've had, a, as I alluded to earlier, I've had a great team around me that are super positive and have motivated me and have helped me around. And it's those days that are, are tough. All right, let's talk about that for a second, because I think that's very important about life in general. Ty, Tiger Woods is a billionaire. He'll end up being a billionaire, his net worth. Uh, not too far from now. And he, he almost died in a car accident and almost lost his leg. And he was in a bed a year ago at this time and couldn't walk. And he competed in the Masters, and he was on the leaderboard on Thursday and beat eight of the top 12 golfers in the world. What is the lesson to be learned from there about motivation? He has all the money in the world. He doesn't need any more money. He wanted to play with his son. He told the doctor, save his leg because he wanted to golf with his son and daughter the rest of his life. That would have been fine. He ends up charging and getting in shape enough to play the Masters. He doesn't win the Masters, but he was very inspirational. This should affect everybody who can hear my voice today. If you need to be more fit, we all do, right? You need to lose 30 pounds, lose 15 pounds, do something, quit smoking, to stop something in your life, do something a little bit different. Maybe Tiger's the inspiration to you. Maybe not. But he could be the inspiration because he did something that he didn't have to do. He didn't have to play in the Masters again. And he did it in an impressive fashion because he's motivated. That guy should write motivational books. He motivated me to play golf on Saturday. He motivated me to watch every chance I could over the weekend. Not many people can do that. You know, when I tune into a Floyd Mayweather fight, to credit to Floyd... I tuned in because Floyd was always in shape. He never did drugs. He never drank. He treated his body like a temple. I thought he was 
a really bad guy at times and made mistakes. But every time I covered a Floyd fight, be in shape, he'd give 100%. I didn't like his style of fights where he didn't try to knock people out. But I always knew what I was getting with Floyd. Same with Manny Pacquiao. I love that about sports. So how do I connect that on the show today, on a show that you think should be football when there's not a lot of football to talk about? Tie it into football. Tie it into a Raider after practice running an extra lap. Tie it into a Raider looking at film for an extra hour on a Saturday night before a game and putting in the extra work. Tom Brady does. Tiger Woods does. The greatest of the greats separate themselves. And I wrote this in my phone for notes. It sounds like a reach, but I'm going to tie it into Derek Carr. Derek Carr has achieved greatness, greatness in his life. Going back to Dwayne Haskins, Derek Carr was a great quarterback at Fresno State. He's gotten the Raiders to the playoffs twice, played in one playoff game, and his whole future's in front of him. And what I love about Derek is his work ethic. His work ethic is tremendous. It's the type of work ethic you would like to lead an organization to greatness. He checks the box. Derek's playing a lot of golf now, right? He got a hole-in-one recently. I'm sure he loves the sport, but he's a great dad. He's a man of faith, cares about his wife and his kids, and he's a workaholic. And I'm tying in Tiger because I thought about Tiger a lot this weekend and said, man, what, what motivates Elon Musk to get up in the morning? Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, Tiger Woods, Tom Brady, all of these people. I'm a big Rolling Stones guy, Mick Jagger. Why is Mick Jagger at 80 years old? He sprinted by me. He didn't jog. He sprinted by me. Bobby, check his age if it's 79 or 80. I'm at the concert. I'm in the pit, and Mick Jagger comes by me, and then he races by me sprinting, and I'm like, man, he's pretty motivated. He doesn't have to do a concert again. And he's like running and doing a sprint. What motivates the best of the best when their back is up against the wall or an injury? I'm sure you watched the 30 for 30 on Alex Smith when he almost lost his leg. The quarterback played with Kansas City and the Washington Commanders. I love these stories about people that you count out. Ben Hogan almost died as he was hit by a bus. The great golfer, he won six, six of his nine majors after the accident. I know what motivated him, money. Back then, you didn't make a lot of money, so he had to play golf to make money. But what Tiger Woods did over the weekend was really impressive. When I sat around Sunday and I was texting with my son at ASU, he's like, Dad, do you think Tiger, what, how's Tiger going to do today? I said, I don't think he's going to do well, but he's going to finish. And when he finished, Jim Nance, Jim Nance always says the right thing at the right time. Nance said he got to the finish line. I said, you know, that made a lot of sense. It's like a marathon runner. Marathon runner gets to mile number 20. He has no chance to win the marathon. Zero. Can't, can't win because there's a bunch of people that beat him. But that marathon runner, he or she, has got 6.2 miles left. They finish. They don't quit. They finish. So to tie it into the Raiders today is I think that is the, the new era that the Raiders are going in. I thought they played really hard for Gruden, Basaccia, Jack Del Rio, all the guys. These are professional football players. They always have to play hard. But I like the ones that come back from adversity. Max Crosby had an issue. And he got sober. He didn't have to get sober. He could have hid that and kept his whole life going and hid it from us. Now Max is buying new homes and giving back to the community because he found a point in his life where he just wanted to go to the next level. And if Tiger Woods did not inspire you 
this weekend, then I don't think anything can inspire you from an athletic endeavor. What should inspire you every day is your faith, your family. Someone in your family should inspire you or you're self-motivated. A lot of people, including myself, I need motivation from reading books, surrounding myself with better people, talking to my wife and kids. At my dad, I talk to my dad every day. Those are the people that motivate me in life. Tiger Woods lost his dad, right? Went through an ugly divorce. The guy is insane when it comes to waking up every day and achieving greatness. He did not win the Masters. He was nowhere near winning the Masters. But he lost by 23 strokes. 23. But he's going to come back again and try to do it again. I was highly motivated by that. 702-365-9200. When we're talking about excellence, Remy Martin, team up for excellence. When I'm watching Tiger Woods talking about it, Remy Martin sidecar in my hand. So that's where we're at. It's my first day back. No one's here, I guess, but me, which is great. I could have did a two-hour podcast. Bobby said, come into the studio. I want to see you today. So I called Harry Ruiz. I said, meet me in at 1 o'clock. He's going to come in. We'll find out what we're going to talk about next because that's what I do. I think I'm going to mention the Vegas Golden Knights and their path to what they have to do. But coming up next, Frank Vogel and what the media did to him last night was outright despicable. The ball went through the net to end the season, and in less than 10 seconds, an NBA writer tweeted out that he was going to get fired. Didn't wait till he shook hands and walked off the court. Didn't wait till he met with his team. He did it to be first. Believe that, everybody. He did it to be first. Oh, I mean, I get it when you're in that business and you got to break news, you want to be first because second isn't the same. But to see that happen, mind-blowing to me. Must have put on the bat light in Oakland, Bobby, before we went. Chris in West Oakland. You'd rather have the best caller go first on Monday, set the tone. Hope you had a good weekend, Chris. How are you? I did have a good weekend, JT. We talked last night. I didn't really get into the Tiger Woods as deep as you are right now. I just, I'm going to disagree with you a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about Tiger's the excellence, what it takes to golf. And, yes, very motivated. He's got all the money he'll ever need. He doesn't need to. But this narrative that it's some Herculean effort and inspiration because he's able to play golf. I've got an 87-year uncle that 30 years, 30 years ago lost, did lose his leg in a golfing, in, in an in a auto accident. He's 87 now. He golfs three times a week. I, do, I will never compare a golfer athletically to like what Alex Smith did. The reason Tiger is able to get out and perform is because you can play golf till you're 90 years old. If he was an NBA player, an NFL player, a hockey player, his career would be over. Again, I'm glad he survived, and I'm not, I'm not saying, listen, it's a skill. He's maybe the greatest golfer that ever lived. I'm not talking about the ability to play golf at that level. But this narrative that this is some Herculean physical effort because a guy's able to play four rounds of golf, I'm just not but buying Chris, it. But Chris, he got it, into an accident that could have killed him and almost had his leg amputated. That's the point of my monologue. I'm not just saying he's an old guy with a bad back. You know, and he's trying to hang on there. The guy got out of a hospital bed a year ago and walked up the 18th hole at Augusta and made the cut. 
My point exactly, JT. He couldn't get on an NFL field. He couldn't get in an NBA field. I don't think people at golf and people that identify with golfers, and again, I'm not disputing his greatness and everything. The fact that you can play golf at 90 years old, it's not this great Herculean effort everybody's made it out to be, but the golf world acts like Tiger Woods never missed a shot in his career, and he's the only golfer in existence. I'm glad he survived the wreck. I'm glad he's still golfing. I don't have any ill will towards Tiger Woods. I just don't buy this inspirational story because the guy is able to play golf. Now, go run a marathon. Go play 40 minutes on an NBA court after almost losing your leg. I'll be impressed by that. I'm not impressed by a guy that can play 18 holes of golf and everybody's acting like he just walked across water. But anyway, like I said, we just disagree. I do like Tiger Woods. I, I appreciate his greatness. I just will never buy that this is this great inspirational story, but that's just me. Anyway, thanks for letting me rant, brother. It's great that we can still disagree. Wouldn't be any fun if we agreed on everything oh, all the time anyway. Amen to that. Thank, Thank you, Chris. You, Thank you, Chris. We don't have to agree. I know I take your calls on the Raider postgame show when you come in like a flamethrower and I'm sitting in the Modelo Cantina and you're leading it off then. I disagree with Chris. I think what Tiger Woods did was Herculean in any sport. It defies anything. It's such a hard sport to be good at and to be good at that level and to almost die and come back and play. It really inspired me. 702-365-9200. James Falston, a former Raider linebacker, will talk about his draft story. These interviews have been really good because of the guys I'm interviewing. I'm just asking them questions and they are telling us historic Raider history and it ties Al Davis into every interview because Al Davis was either the guy who made the call, the guy who found the player, and the guy who mentored the player. That's coming up next. JT in studio this week with Bobby. Having a great time today. Hope you had a good weekend. This is Raider Nation Radio. We begin. This JT the Brick Legends moment is brought to you by M Resort, the official team headquarters hotel of the Las Vegas Raiders. Carr back into the gun. The backfield is empty. Takes a snap. Fires on a cross. Spin. Jackpot, baby! Vegas touchdown! Carr to Darren Waller. Need to get that train going again. Waller, big year coming up. Big, big year. And Derek Carr, Brent Musburger on the call. JT, back with you as we take a look back at the history of the Raiders draft. I've really been enjoying this. I hope you're enjoying it, too. Now we move on this week to the 90s. Former linebacker James Falston joins us. Kind enough to do this. Drafted 1994 in the second round. The 52nd pick overall. Then Northeast Louisiana. James, thanks for doing this. I hope you're doing well. Thanks for coming on. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, JT. Thanks. You got it. I'm thrilled to talk to you. I want to start off with college, now University of Louisiana, Monroe, the North uh, East Louisiana University, which you were at, and you exploded in one of the years there with sacks and defensive totals that got you on the list of a lot of pro scouts and All-American voters. How did that happen? What was it like when the light bulb went off in your head and you started to dominate in college? I, I think I contributed to the summer training, the uh, the training that we were doing over the Christmas break. 
Uh, I, had to, I had the mindset that uh, while my competition is uh, dormant, as long as I uh, continue to stay active, running stadium steps, um, while they went out to the clubs, uh, uh, went to party, I stayed at home, uh, um, continued training, doing core, whatever. When guys went out to party, uh, drinking alcohol, I carried a gallon of water in me. So mentally, I felt like I had an edge. So mentally, when you have an edge and you're a student of the game, uh, it tends to take you to a whole nother level. That's fantastic. So when that happened, did you sense through coaching that you had a chance in the NFL? Did you always have NFL aspirations in college, or did it come late in college where you knew it was going to be, hey, be a professional football player or do something else? How'd that come about? No, it's funny you, you say that, though, JT. Uh, when I was, what, 10 or 11 years old, I used to always tell everybody I'm going to the National Football League. Wow. And it's ironic that the Raiders was my favorite team as a kid. And so they, they, everybody was saying, how do you know you're going to the National Football League? You never met anybody that went to the National Football League. I said, I'm going. I said, they can do it. I can do it. But at the time, of course, you didn't know what you needed to do to get there. You just said you want to do it and try to speak everything uh, into fruition. Um, I, I would say that um, once I realized how my strength levels were in the weight room, they were like off the chart compared to the average linebacker or average defensive end. I mean, it was natural for me, but for some, it just, they just never came close. Uh, the, the consistent mindset that I had day in and day out in the 120-some degree heat, I, I never complained about uh, banging in practice or what have you when the other guys felt like it was too exhausting. I mean, it just came natural for me. So that's when I realized and, and believed that, I said, you know what, this game of football, man, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have opportunity to play on the highest level. Um, Again, speed, speed wasn't the issue. I ran for the Pro Scouts my junior day, ran a 4-5, and those guys said, hey, you right up there with your guys that are playing on Sundays, um, just continue doing what you're doing, and um, everything else will take its course. James so Fult- then, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Finish. So, I mean, again, after that Pro Day my junior year, I mean, I realized that, you know what, um, I'm going to be playing on NFL Sundays. Incredible. James Falston is our guest, kind enough to join us. Uh, Raider, Los Angeles, Oakland Raider from 94 through 98, then went on to the Cardinals, Arizona Cardinals, linebacker. So everything you said about your measurables, your size, your weightlifting, and your speed, uh, two words, Al Davis. Al Davis loves that. Superior athletes who can run. When did the Raiders get on your radar there? Because... Your second-round pick, 52 overall, that is a high draft pick. Did you think you were going to the Raiders, or were other teams also contacting you? I initially thought I was going to be um, – I hate to mention other uh, organizations, but I initially thought I was going to be a Dolphin. Mm-hmm. Um, but during – I mean, uh, Bruce uh, was our area scout. Bruce from the Raiders, mm-hmm. uh, he was our area scout. So he would come down, we'd see him quite often. And, um, and I just had a feeling that they liked me. Uh, as a matter of fact, the, uh, the Raiders versus Seattle Seahawks was my first NFL game. I went out to visit my agent uh, at the time who, who uh, wanted me to sign with him. It was Ted Marchibroda Jr. That was my agent. So he flew me out um, after the, my um, senior season. Um, first went to the game, and I'm like, man, I'm having an opportunity to watch my favorite team play uh, against a team that one of my other college teammates was playing for at the time, Jeff Blackshear, uh, who's a graduate from ULM as well. Um, and, you know, again, and all the draft boards had me going to the Dolphins um, or the Buffalo Bills. Uh, during the course of the draft, the Raiders uh, traded up two uh, draft picks, and, um, mm. and they plucked me out. And so after that, man, I was, I was a Raider. Uh, Arshel gave me a call while I was sitting in my apartment. 
uh, in Monroe, Louisiana, um, Saudi Arico. I knew it was Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. I had no idea it would be the Raiders. And he gave me that call. I, under, I heard the voice before because you're watching ESPN and watching all the interviews that he took uh, over the years, Wavy. And, man, I was excited, man, ecstatic. And I said, un- unbelievable. I'm having an opportunity uh, to play for uh, my childhood team. Amazing story. James Falston, former Raider linebacker. As we wrap it up, so you get the call from Art Shell. What was it like when you met Al Davis? Give me an Al Davis story, please. Oh, man. You know, everybody gives you stories about, uh, about Al. I call him coach all the time. I know once a coach, always a coach. Um, man, it's amazing how detailed he was. You know, man, of course, when the NFL is a billion-dollar industry, so the owners are supposed to, they're supposed to know everything about you. Uh, coach Al, I mean, he knew everything about where I grew up at. Or street I grew up on. Um, he knew my principal. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that's probably background check that he did, but it's obvious that he read all the information that was given to him. And he was just at ease, man. He was, he was a, I mean, he was a guy that, you know, believed in uh, what he was doing within the organization. And his ultimate goal is hire the best people money can buy and then expect them to produce. And that's what I admire about Coach Al. Excellent story. So as we wrap this up here, you know, you just you you turned fifty recently. You got a twelve pack, James, or a six pack now? Because you're a, you're a freak in the weight room. What are you looking like today, man? I, I'm, I'm looking at old pictures of you. What's going on with you now? Uh, right now, I'm about six um, three. I would say about two. I'm right at two sixty two. So my plan weight right at two forty. I mean, I'm not bent up by the shape or anything like that. I mean, but I feel it in the morning. Don't get me wrong now. And so I do right now. What I'm doing is I do a lot of volunteer work. Uh, in the area that I grew up in, I mean, countless hours, uh, football, uh, track. I feel like those type of things is what gives me a adrenaline rush. And when I get an adrenaline rush, man, I don't worry about all the, the, the aches and pains <laughs> that I used to feel in the morning time. I mean, that, that's the actual antidote uh, to pain, in, in my opinion. And just so happy, you know what, JT, um, it's, 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 it was an honor on Friday uh, to see the, the James Folston Day. I mean, I was an honor, man. The mayor of Coco signed a proclamation and named April 8th of James Folsom Day based off the countless hours I'm involved in the community here in the uh, Coco area. And I take pride in that. Never had any idea that the mayor was going to sign a proclamation like that and have a James Folsom Day on April 8th. What an that's, honor, that's a, James. That's a, big, that's a heck of an honor. Yeah, that is a hell of an honor. Whenever you're, whenever you're valued in a community and you get that type of recognition, and I'm sure you didn't want it, and you got it, and it must have been a beautiful surprise for you. Uh, last one, James. Once a Raider, always a Raider. What does this organization mean to you today? Oh, man. You know what? Again, it's, it's just, again, it's ironic it was my childhood team. Uh, and, I, and I tell all the guys, even guys that are current with other teams, I say, look here, man. Uh, the National Football League stands for not for long. And, you know, it's a billion-dollar industry, and, and there's a revolving door uh, every year. And if you want to be part of an organization that uh, takes pride in you uh, you being, becoming a radio agent, that's the organization you want to be part of. Uh, at least sometime down the road, if you become a free agent, restricted free agent, or whatever it may be, man, you try to get your way to Las Vegas to become a radio because the MD is doing a great, uh, doing a great job. He's doing everything that his dad would do, that would be doing. Um, so th- this organization, man, is on a, another level. The alumni program is on another level. It's not even close. I talk with the guys from other organizations all the time. They say it's not even close. So that that model, once a Raider, always a Raider, that's king in the National Football League. There will be a lot of guys trying to get to that organization over the next coming years. You got guys that were drafted by other organizations, played numerous years at the organization. 
But they played two or three years with with the Raiders. When they go to the Hall of Fame, they want to go in the Hall of Fame as a Raider because they know the Raiders are going to treat them right for life. Really appreciate it, James. Worth the wait talking to you. Thanks a lot for doing this. Continued success. And please let us know when you're coming out to Vegas to see a game. We'd love to see you. Absolutely. Appreciate everything, JT. You got it, James. Thank you. James Falston. Wow. Very interesting story. Linebacker played for the Raiders through 94-98, a standout at Northeast Louisiana. He had one year that really put him on the map. I was going back and looking at him uh, during his third year. In college, he had 12 sacks. He ended his career in college with 27 sacks, which ranks first on the all-time sack list at his college, Northeast Louisiana. And it's amazing when you ask these guys about Al Davis and the impact that Mr. Davis had. And James said he calls him coach. And a lot of the old-timers, and James is 50. He's not an old-timer. But a lot of them call Mr. Davis coach because of his great coaching track record before he became general partner and owner of the Silver and Black. Appreciate that. Thanks to M Resort Spa and Casino for their partnership with all the alumni events that we do here. 702-365-9200. Harry Ruiz at the top of the hour, the Latino voice of the Silver and Black, as we're going to dive into the roster and some of the offseason moves. Opens up a line for you right now to get in behind James. If you want to talk about the draft and what the Raiders should do in the draft, that's another topic they stole from me. And I'm happy because we got Devontae. So I don't have to do a deep dive on first-round wide receivers, but I'm doing it for my other show, and we'll dive into it. Will the Raiders move up in the draft? We don't know. Do you think they need to or stand pat and just play with the guys you got and win? Testing one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Hello, Anthony. SOSDD, get this over with. Put us out of our misery. Wow, that was Stu Lance, Lakers broadcaster, saying on an open mic, put us out of our misery. Whoa! Whoa! Is Vegas a Laker town? That's a topic for the top of the hour. Do you consider Las Vegas, Nevada, a Laker town? Kareem with the record here, Laker flags, yes or no? I I would consider this a Laker town. Lakers play here when they played some preseason games, very close, four-hour drive to L.A. I know it's not a Clipper town. Celtic fans are here. But how much do you care in Las Vegas that the Lakers put you through this season? Now, the way I look at it, I'm a Yankee fan. They can't win every year. They haven't won since 2009. My Knicks stink, so I follow my teams. The Raiders made it to the playoffs, which was really nice this year. But Laker fans have a level, a gold standard, purple and gold standard, which is greatness. There was a great tweet today. It was an old Kobe Bryant soundbite. He said, I hope, I'll paraphrase it, what I hope I brought to the Lakers was a level of winning. And Kobe did that. Now LeBron, I think LeBron wants to win. I think he's desperate to win. But he doesn't have that vibe that came off the way it did with Kobe and Magic. It's just different with those guys. And Larry Bird, an assassin who always wanted to win. So the Lakers end up losing last night. And here's what happened, which was a really big story. The second the game ended, 
Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN, he's her number one newsmaker, insider, tweeted out as the ball went through the rim and they won, Frank Vogel is going to get fired. Not that he was fired, but it was imminent. Frank Vogel didn't even shake hands yet with his players. So he went to the locker room afterwards and was asked about it. So Vogel was asked about Woj's tweet when he went to the microphone. Listen to this. Frank, right at the end of the game, Adrian Wojnarowski tweeted that um, the Lakers are going to be firing you, a decision they'll let you know tomorrow. Have you communicated with the front office at all about your future? And I guess what's your reaction to to hearing that? Uh, My reaction is uh, I haven't been told I'm going to enjoy tonight's game and what our guys did tonight and the way we finished out this season. I'm proud of our guys tonight. Yep, so he is uh, proud about proud about that, and he should be proud. They won the game. It's an NBA game they won, and they were able to get it done, but he got fired today. Now, it's a really important question because it ties us all in together as sports fans. It all ties us in together. Do you want to know this information first? If Woj didn't tweet it the second he had it, and someone tweeted, Chris Haynes from Yahoo did two minutes later, then Chris Haynes gets all the credit, not Woj. And Woj gets raises and money because he breaks the news first. Adam Schefter broke the story that Dwayne Haskins died. He didn't do it right. He said he struggled as a quarterback, and he got heat for it. So where do you want? Do you want this information quickly, or do you think that there should be dignity in class in how you get the information? A very unique question I'm asking you because we live in a Twitter world now where if you're first, you get all the credit. You don't get credit if you're seventh. And Woj needs to get credit because that's why he's number one at ESPN. So if Dave McMiniman reported it first or George Sedano or someone else, then Woj is sitting there going, wow, I didn't get that first. But he didn't have anything. He knew he, he thought he was getting fired tomorrow, probably heard that from someone high up at the Lakers. But the gentleman wasn't fired yet. He wasn't fired yet. So what do you do? What what do you think here? Help me out with this one. Do you want that information or do you want to wait for that information or does it not matter to you? I think it matters to a lot of people. You know why TMZ is the most successful website in breaking news? It's because they're the best at it. They're, They're run by attorneys, legal mavens who sit there and they break news that the sports world doesn't have and news organizations don't have. When TMZ came onto the world of social media, people would laugh at TMZ. No, TMZ is better than ABC News, CBS News. They get it, they get it first, and they verify it. And they're always right. And if they, it's rare that they are ever wrong. So, and it's, it's rare that Woj is ever wrong. And he got that last night. So I wanted to hear what you had to say on this. Carmelo Anthony, who should not play again for the Lakers, he was a bit of the problem, too. An aging player said this after the game. I don't know what Frank is thinking. I don't know what he was thinking. I don't know how he's thinking right now. Um, But if I just had to give my perspective with two cents on it, I would just say it it, it never came together for him. It, It never clicked. Yeah, so it never clicked. It never clicked. It didn't click because Carmelo Anthony and Russell Westbrook, Anthony Davis was hurt. LeBron James was hurt, and everybody checked out. They all checked out. (laughs) The Lakers checked out. Can you imagine Kareem checking out? Can you imagine Kobe Bryant? Kobe Bryant, Achilles, tears, injuries. Imagine Kobe checking out of a season or a game. Kobe played on some bad teams. He did, on a few of them. And Kobe was, I was living in L.A. when Kobe went on the radio the summer of Kobe and was threatening to leave, and he didn't. You know, he was upset at the level of the play of the organization. 
Charles Barkley, this was good last night, on TNT afterwards as they debated this topic. Well, Frank Vogel is getting screwed. He sure is. He's getting, because whoever put these old-ass geezers together, they deserve the lion's share. Uh, they, they've scapegoated uh, Frank, obviously, and Russ all year. But this team, I told you from day one, I said, the only chance this team got a chance to be in competitive is Anthony Davis. And clearly, he's not doing what he's supposed to do. But to blame Frank and Russ for putting this old-ass team together, I mean, I told you, ain't enough Icy Hot, Ben Gay, Absorbing Jr., <laughs> WD-40. My grandma used to put WD-40 on her knees and ankles to loosen them up. She, they should try that for them old-ass geezers. Only team in the league with an average age over 30. The oh, Lakers. hey, and they're not over 30. They're not 31 either. They're 36, 37. <laughs> <laughs> over right. 30, way over 30. How could anybody do a sports talk show today and not mention that? Can you imagine doing a sports radio show today and not talking about the Lakers and what happened last night? It's massive. And I live in Vegas, which isn't too far from L.A. So I think there are some Laker fans listening here that want to get into this a little bit. And how do you handle it? And there's no more coaches. Alvin Gentry got let go again today. Alvin Gentry's been, what, a head coach 19 times, 30 times. He'll get a job somewhere else. We've run out of coaches. There's no more left. None. Unless you get Jay Wright from Villanova or you get Coach K out of retirement, who are you going to get? Who? Everybody else. It's the regurgitation of the middle-aged white guy. How many times can you hire Stan Van Gundy? How many times? Like seven? We've run out of coaches. There's no more. Remember that guy, David Blatt, years ago? Really good coach. They gave him one year, they fired him. When he went back to Israel or somewhere else. Who is left to coach? Even Brad Stevens, the wonder kid from Bobby's Boston. He's coaching Boston. He's a great coach. He's so spent emotionally, they kicked him upstairs to be an executive. I guess it's hard to coach in the league because the players are so entitled. They make so much money. When a guy makes $300,000 a game and Russell Westbrook tells you, I'm bringing the ball up. He told this reportedly, according to Yahoo, at training camp. Frank Vogel had a meeting and said, look, the strength of the Lakers is when there's a rebound, all of our guys can take off and dribble. Anthony Davis can dribble. LeBron can dribble. Everybody can. And Russell Westbrook said, no, give me the ball. I'll do it. Lost the team right there. So Frank Vogel, part of the reason why he got fired today is he lost the team. LeBron James didn't step in and do much, huh? Where's LeBron today? Where's the press conference with LeBron? Sitting next to Frank Vogel as they both got championship rings, diamond rings that say Laker on it, and LeBron sitting next to him going, hey, man, this is my coach. Uh, This guy helped me win my fourth championship. I owe him everything. Silence. Silence. So are the Lakers dysfunctional? I wouldn't go that far. I think the Lakers are a great brand, great team. But it's the beginning of losing, and I don't know how they're going to rebuild. There's not a smart person in the NBA who knows how the Lakers can get out of the Russell Westbrook contract and rebuild and get LeBron back to a championship. Good luck with that. It's going to be hard to do. Maybe it's easier for LeBron just to leave and go somewhere else to try to cash one more chip. We'll see what happens. Our friend Harry Ruiz, the Latino voice of the Raiders, will join us next. I'll boast about him. Because I don't boast about myself enough. Wink, wink. Harry Ruiz in studio.